Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast, where we explore the challenges and opportunities for church planning across Europe. Today we're going to look at the topic of secularization. We're going to ask, what is it? How did we get here? How do we navigate being a faithful witness for Jesus within the many secular environments found throughout Europe? Thanks for joining us. Well, welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast. Today, we're joined by Daniel Patterson in Sofia, Bulgaria. Daniel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm so excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. But uh, before we jump into that, give us a little bit of insight into who you are, what what, what you're doing, and, and what, what should we know about you? Yeah, so I'm married to Katie. Uh, had tw- our 20th wedding anniversary this last year. Uh, married to two, uh, married. I've got two wonderful daughters, um, Svetlana and Mimi. Um, we came to Bulgaria back in 2010. Uh, we, we started um, learning language and church planting. We ducked out. I did a PhD for a couple of years. And we came back, and since then I've been teaching theology and hermeneutics at a small theological college here, um, training people um, to minister the gospel but also to um, encourage people to get into church planting and equip them to do so. Yeah. That's great. So, Church planning and also theological equipping of church planters. That's awesome. Uh, obviously, you have a different accent from me. And so tell us where you're from. Yes, I'm from Perth uh, in Australia. That's on the West Coast. So, yeah. Very nice. Well, in some of the other circles that you and I run in, we, we've had these conversations with people uh, about the topic that we want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Just loved your insight in that. And uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So the topic is secularism. Um, and I think on one level, we all kind of think we know what that means. But when you start to really uh, try to define that, it gets more difficult. So mm. let's just start there. W- what is and what isn't secularism as you see it? Hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think, too, I mean, I love to begin always with saying what it's not. Uh, I think we have to have this at the forefront of our minds. Um, what secularism is not is atheism. Um, so we need to stop equating secularism with atheism. Uh, and there's a real obvious proof for this. Um, 20th century European communism um, was utterly opposed to secularism and communism is, is atheistic at heart. Okay? So, so clearly they're, they're not to be um, equated. Um, the second thing is if atheism um, is not to be kind of linked with um, secularism in this kind of way, we, we don't need to assume either that secularism is necessarily antagonistic towards Christianity, and we can get to we can get to talking about why that's the case as well. So um, that's where I'd like to begin. What it's not, um, in terms of what it is, uh, I like to think of secular as describing a space or a context, uh, a context or a space in which people live in. Um, so what is a secular context then? That's the next question to kind of ask and answer. Well, technically, it's the absence of the sacred. What's the sacred? Well, it's uh, the, the, the religion and spirituality and God, gods, fairies, powers, life forces, yin and yang, whatever you want. Um, that's what we call sacred. Um, a, a secular space is the absence of these things. So all you have basically is material. Cause and effect, this is what you got. Um, so the question is, though, in what sense uh, are these sacred things absent? And this is, I think, the important part to get. Um, they're absent 
insofar as they're allowed to determine what is good for society or contribute to determine to determining what is good for society. Um, and there's a really good example um, that we, we all know about. Think about the the legalization of same-sex marriages in our in our country, in our countries. Um, um, as the debate has rolled on, Christians have wanted to step in with their Bibles and their natural theology, and the secular state and the media, which is secularly driven, says, uh-uh-uh, that's out of bounds, you can't bring that in. The only thing that you can argue with here is matter, cause and effect, whatever is here, that's what we're talking about. Um, so that's what secular is. It's a, it's a context in which um, Christianity and God and the Bible, these things have been moved to the outside um, they're not allowed to participate in determining what is good uh, for society. Yes. And you've also shared in the past about understanding secularism at the different levels. There's there's a high level, mid-level, and, and then the personal level. Tell us how that gets played out. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can think of, of uh, secularism as as uh, structuring a context in three different ways. The first one is this kind of macro level. When you think of big context, big spaces, Europe, bang, uh, Bulgaria, bang, France, um, these states, these organisations structure up as secular. So they move all things God and spiritual and whatever religion out of the equation. They only operate, they say, on you know what is material. That's how they're going to make sense of 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 life and what is good for society and how to move forward. And that's how they go about legislating and that's how they go about developing policy, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first level, this big macro, 30,000 feet, big continents or um, countries. Uh, there's the second um, way we can think about secular is kind of a mid-range level, if you like. Think of a school or a business um, or a or a a community centre or, or, or something in society um, where this little organism kind of takes on the DNA of the, the bigger structure, the government structure. Um, so say there's a business and they decide they're going to rip out the toilets and just have unisex toilets and a Christian comes along and says, hang on a minute, there, there's men and women only. Why don't we have men and women toilets? <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, the, the bosses come down and thump the policy on the table and say, hang on a minute, no, 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 that's out of the question. Um, we're just using our, you know, our minds and what is in front of us matter to material to determine what is good. Um, religion and God and the Bible, that's off the table. That, that's not allowed in this discussion. And um, so that's what's happening in schools and businesses. You kind of see these spaces being structured up with this kind of secular dog. Uh, and the third and final one is just this kind of more organic personal um, um, experience where um, we, we experience this living in a secular age where we are a product of that secular age, where we become secular. Um, someone might say, there is no God, there's no outside, there's just material, and so I've just got to make sense of my, my life um, with what's in front of me, and, um, and you need to too. Uh, don't try and bring the Bible in. I'm not going to, to use that. Um, so you can kind of see it as a trickle-down effect, um, um, but it starts at the big picture macro level, works its way into kind of businesses and those small entities, and eventually we kind of see these new humans being created um, who are secular, who refuse the outside and just live on the inside. Yeah, and as you describe that, 
my, my first thought is, yeah, that, that pre- presents a tremendous challenge to obey the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations when, when it seems like the systems are kind of set up to, to not allow that to happen. And yet, uh, one of the surprising things that I've heard you say is, is talking about the, the benefits, even for your own work, of secularization. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I've mentioned communism a few times. That's because, you know, Bulgaria... Uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, was was in it was a, was a communistic regime. Um, I could not have come into Bulgaria to share the gospel and train pastors to plant churches during that time because it's a secular context. Now I'm allowed to be in here and, and do this. Think about Albania, which is nearly 100% Muslim. Um, people can go in there and proselytize appropriately, plant churches, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, with no fear of of um, being um, expelled or, or being put in jail or killed, um, even though it's nearly 100% Muslim. But the reason that's, a, that's allowed is because Albania is a secular state. Now take another nearly 100% um, Muslim-dominated country of Iran, Well, that's not a secular state, and, and Christians there, their lives are under threat. You cannot go into there to proselytize, et cetera, et cetera. So secularism it, it is wonderful in the sense that it really does create a space for us to come into uh, and and proclaim the gospel, which is um, what we want to do. So we're kind of thankful for these these kind of states that, that afford us this possibility. Exactly. And I've, I've made the argument that if you if God has burdened you for a heart for Muslim background people, Europe is a great place Absolutely. to go because of secularization. Yeah. Uh, there are immigrants and refugees and, and diaspora, all those things, yeah. and yet uh, you're, you're going to be allowed uh, to, in, in different ways, uh, in appropriate ways, mm-hmm. to come in and be a witness. Um, so let's talk about how we how we even got here. Um, mm. Charles Taylor, in his big book, Our Secular Age, talks about 500, 800 years ago, it would have been almost impossible to think of a, a person that did not believe in God. Mm. And, and now... Uh, now we're in a very different situation. So tell us how, how we got from there to the here and and what does that mean differently for for our mission? How, how does that change how we engage? Mm. Yeah, well, the short story is uh, that we, we started thinking for ourselves. Uh, once upon a time, um, if someone had a miscarriage, it was because they had, you know, sinned against God or the gods, you know, and the gods had smited them. Um, we had a bad crop because, you know, um, the sun had done something awful. Um, but we came to understand that crops get destroyed because, um, you know, that's just sometimes how the weather, weather patterns work and, and childbirth is dangerous. And actually when we think about it and we put our minds together, we can create medicines and different technologies that actually help um, childbirth to become a much more safer kind of um, thing. Um, and so over time, we came to understand that this world really is, we can understand it without God. Um, we don't need God in, in, in medicine. We don't need God in, in the field. We don't need God in our relationships because we've come to understand them without him. But we know that, that things happen, not because of God, but because of cause and effect and the seasons and the cycles and, and all the rest. And so we've, we've come to trust ourselves in this kind of way that um, this is all there is. Um, and so where we've gone as, a, as, as secular nations and as secular contexts is we've said, well, yeah, yeah, this doesn't rule out religion and God and, and gods and fairies and whatever you want to believe in, 
it just means that we're not going to use those things to structure up society. So bring them all in. You can all come. You know, come on in, come on in, come on in. It's just that we've moved on from that. We know how the world works. We're going to work in that kind of way. Um, so, so what that does for us uh, as, as um, people who minister the gospel is that while secularism does create, give us the space to proclaim the gospel, it also creates a space for every other meaning-making narrative to proclaim itself as the truth and way to, to life and to find meaning and all the rest. So what a secular context does is while it doesn't kick us out, uh, it does let everyone in, but it just turns into this meaning-making soup that we find ourselves in and people cannot find um, up from down, right from wrong. They don't know what to believe in. They don't know what is true. They don't know what is false, what is error. Um, they don't know where to go. And we, Christians, are just another one of those problematic things that confuse people, I suppose. Yeah, and for the most part, um, in in wealthy and healthy Western, Western society, uh, most days people can get up and live their life yeah. in a secular humanist worldview. Um, but Charles Saylor also talks about how we are um, – we, we, we are still in these moments where there, what he'll say is cross pressure mm. or um, I think of another author that talks about Christ haunted. Mm. Uh, there are, there are still these, these moments where life uh, opens up a little bit. The veil is pulled back mm-hmm. a little bit and there is the, the, the secular narrative is not sufficient for uh, to meet them at their deepest needs. Mm-hmm. And so um how do we recognize when when do these cross pressured moments come up in people's lives? Mm-hmm. How do we recognize them, and and how how might we uh, use them for God's glory and, and the mm. introduction to Jesus in those moments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the the crux of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Let me just kind of um, tell our listeners something that you said. I think a, a few months ago when we were talking about this. Um, in the same way that we Christians will have these moments of doubt. Um, they kind of flicker and we kind of look into them and, and we get a bit ruptured by them. Um, people who don't believe have these moments of faith and they get a bit ruptured by these moments of faith. And uh, in terms of the question that you're asking, um, where do we find the moment to actually proclaim the gospel, you know, decisively in this soup? Where does the gospel actually hit home and resound in people's lives and hearts? I think it's in those moments of flickering faith because um, when people are on their deathbed or when they're sick, which is generally my experience, they, if this is all there is, material matter, you know, cause and effect, if this is all there is, well, there is no hope outside of, outside of whatever they're experiencing. And so this moment of I hope there's something is actually this kind of question into the outside, which they've been rejecting for their whole entire life or, or for however long. Um, and so to be um, present with them at that moment, um, for them to trust you at that moment and for you to speak into that moment and say, let me tell you about um, what's in that little question. Let me tell you about the outside. Um, that's my moment to say um, it is God and he doesn't remain outside. He's come into our world. And I mean, I, I just can't not help think of Paul's um, sermon uh, in Athens, in Acts 17, where he says, see this God here, that the unknown God. That's their question to the outside, right? There's a God out there that I don't know. 
Uh, and then Paul goes, let me tell you about him. There's the moment he strikes and he, and he, um, it's powerful. He, he shares the gospel. He tells about someone who, um, who, who has come, um, who is coming to judge, but also to save. Absolutely. I think also uh, in the same way that you mentioned Paul, um, as Christians, both our, our, our history and our theology can inform us a bit here. So mm-hmm. if you go back to you know, the book of Acts, you go back to uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he talks about the gospel as foolishness to the Gentiles yeah. and a stumbling block to the Jews. Like there was significant opposition yeah. to the gospel. So, um, and yet in spite of that is, is the power of God for salvation. So our history says, hey, we've been in contested space mm-hmm. before. We've been in um, challenging people that challenge our, our, our claims before. Uh, but also our theology says that um, these people are made in the image of God. Yeah. There is going to be something in their soul yeah. that that is going to long for transcendence. So I think of a, a story I had when I was a student, I went to Prague to study abroad and and I remember playing basketball with these Czech kids that had grown up under communism. They were my age. They had grown up under communism. And I remember one in particular just came one day and he was very, very sad. Um, but I asked him, what's up? He, he told me his, one, his good friend had died on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And, and I just got the sense of his world, his secular worldview did not give him the tools to process that moment. Mm-hmm. There was something in his soul that wanted um, something more meaningful to engage in that moment. Mm. And so, yeah, um, yeah you kind of talk about sickness. You talk about, uh, I think maybe even childbirth. <laughs> That's going to make you yep. think existentially to, to a degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're not, um, we're not without opportunity, sort of speak, but it does look different. Like um, from a modernist mindset to a postmodern mindset, what would you say to the worker uh, or, or the Christian in Europe that just wants to know how, how do I how do I engage in a secular age? Like, what's different? What's changed over the last thirty years in terms of our witness? Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, this is a really important question. I think um, our our tendency and our, and I think our natural bent um, as Christians who believe in truth and truths is we want to proclaim them and we want people to believe them. Um, Yet in this moment, uh, we talked about that where they're in this existential kind of existentially disoriented. They don't know what's right from wrong, and so we can throw truths, and they are true at them, but they don't resonate. And um, and so it's interesting that we've gone back to Acts and, and Corinth and, and Corinth because you go through all of the sermons in Acts. What those preachers are constantly doing are telling them stories and drawing them into the narrative that they are already in. And I think sometimes what we've wanted to do in the past is put God into people's hearts and heads. Um, But it seems as though what this moment calls us to do is to draw people into God's story. So not put God in them, but to help them to see that they are in God's story. Uh, As you said a few moments ago, we don't believe in in a, a a world that is just matter and material. We believe that there is life after death. We believe that it's something outside of this. Um, we believe that we're more than just kind of cells and, and neurons firing. Um, and so I think that when we come to grasp the way that, when we come to grasp what God is doing in history, what he did in the beginning, what he's done in time, what he did in Jesus, what he's doing now by the Spirit, what he will do in the end, 
if we can help people to find themselves in that story, um, they're going to find their feet. Now, of course, th- their feet is not on propositional truth, so to speak, but we do pray that as they come to see themselves in God's story, that they will come to find their feet on the rock, Jesus, not on some kind of fact, but on the truth that Jesus is the king, that he did come, he did die, he, he did come to life, he is their king, and he's worthy of their worship, their life, their heart, uh, and mm. um, everything they are. So it seems to me that a narrative is the way that we begin to um, um, help people to find their way in this kind of soup. Um, because it also resonates with the way that the secular space works. It's narratival. They're looking for narratives, and we say, here's a narrative, and it resonates with who God created them to be, and once the spirit begins to work in their heart and their mind, they begin to see that, oh, yeah, this is true. This is actually the way that we should be living our lives and the person to whom we should be um, giving all our heart, mind, and soul to. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is that it's not – it's not less than propositional truth claims, but it is more than that. That's right. And so there might have been a day where the, the strategy was, hey, here's the three proofs for the resurrection. Therefore, mm. now that you've checked those boxes, you're a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't fly no, in the doesn't. space. And, and yet um, it was almost seen as like that's being faithful as if you can get those propositional truth claims. But I think it actually... Um, it's just calling us to be even more faithful. We are, mm. we are create, created in God's image with emotion and will yep. and a desire to connect to that, that broader story. So um, talk to us a little bit like about how you do that. Like what, what would that look like in your secular space of just helping someone that has been drinking from the secular faucet and now uh, you're beginning to invite them into the story of God? Yeah, I suppose, um, I mean, uh, let me give you a story that happened last week, not to me, but one of my co-workers here, he plays basketball um, in a local um, team and he knew that um, my co-worker was a Christian and um, a believer and he just came up to him one day and said, uh, I need to go to church. You know, uh, there, there, there's reasons why you need to go to church. It's not because you're guilty uh, and you need to find peace or you need blessing. You've got problems in your life and you need them worked out. Um, and so what my friend is able to do uh, is not then say, let's go to church, although that may, that may well happen, but that's a moment where he goes, when he expresses this desire to go to church, he's also confessed in God in some sense that he can do something here. Uh, we believe that the Spirit works mightily when we open the Bible and read it with people, and um, he gets to sit down with sit down with this guy and begin to read the Bible and allow the Spirit to work through him. So it's a it's a random event where this guy just comes out and goes, "I need to go to church." I mean, he's never been to church in his life, you know. He, he he probably calls himself an atheist, but all of a sudden he's desperate. He calls to the outside. And in that moment, for us, uh, the way that we work, it's not send them to church. It's, no, no, let's sit down and read the Bible. Let's actually introduce them to the story that, that God has clearly laid out in Scripture for us um, and for him to find himself in that, for the spirit to slowly change his heart and his mind to see that he can be 
a wonderful part of that story as he as he's finds faith in Christ. Now he hasn't yet, um, but that's kind of those moments do pop up uh, regularly. And I suppose the second thing to say would be the only reason that he gets to sit down and read the Bible with him uh, is because um, um, he has been working at that friendship for a period of time. You know, going down and playing basketball. Um, traveling down to the capital, you know, every second week to play. Uh, and finally he gets that moment where that little rupture happens where he looks to the outside and it's like, we'll give you the outside. Let's read it. <laughs> uh, and, let's, yeah. and let's meet the, the man who um, God sent into this world to die for you and find out who he is, what he did, and the white matters. Um, so that's a good example of, of how we kind of work with it, yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, just a couple, just two more quick questions. One, uh, you mentioned that you're in Bulgaria, but the secularism is different there than it is in France and Sweden and Albania. So how, how, how might we make sense of just, and certainly different than America and Australia as well. So give us, uh, how should we make sense of the differences of secularism? Yeah, and it's a really important question, um, uh, we work in villages, church planting, uh, staunch communist strongholds. There's not an ounce of, of um, desire for the outside in those moments, in those places. Um, yeah, in the capital here, in Sofia, you know, strong secular strands. So even in one country, you can go from, you know, old communistic sensibilities to real modern progressive, uh, uh, you know, secular mindsets. Um, and, and this is in Bulgaria, which is in the back blocks of, of Eastern, Southeastern Europe. Um, I suppose the point is that uh, secularism is, is so diverse and I suppose what I want to press our, our listeners to do, especially if they're already working in Europe or, or seeking to come into Europe to, to, to minister, is to really come to terms with just the, the broader strokes of secularism and how they work and, and to, to read the newspapers and see the language they're kind of using. Um, to see what's going on in Scandinavia, to see how that's so different to what's going on in France, which is so different to what's going on in Bulgaria. Um, one place where you've got a state church, Lutheranism, but you've just got this pile in, you know, um, as many religions as possible. Yeah, you know, it's still quite free and open. But down in France, you, you can't wear religious symbols here. You know, it's a real strict religion um, um, state divide, yet down in Bulgaria you've got a traditional church with some communistic sensibilities with orthodox uh, religious kind of traditions lingering, um, you know, absolutely different stripes of secularism in a way that it, the cookie crumbles. So um, really I, I just want people to press into their cultures. And, I mean, pioneers, we're, we're really good at, at emphasising get to know your culture, learn language, learn culture. I suppose what I'm saying is, don't just learn Hungarian culture or Bulgarian culture or French culture. L- learn what it is to be a, what it, what it means to be a secular French person. What is a secular French state? What is it to be in the Euro? Um, let's work and wrestle really hard to come to terms with our culture in which we're, we're ministering in those kinds of ways. Those kinds of ways. Yeah, that's very good. I think we've talked talked about this before. If, if you're going with pioneers and you're going to go to a predominantly Muslim background people or group or country. Um, we're going to send you through some pretty intensive training to understand mm. uh, a very different worldview than most people coming into come from. Um, and yet we have, we haven't done that as well with secularism because 
uh, the, some of the complexities we've talked about now. Uh, but um, what if a, if a listener or someone, a worker is like, man, I, I agree. I just don't know where to start. Like, what, mm. where would you point them? How, how might they get better equipped beyond this conversation to uh, be faithful where they're at? Yeah, I think the bread and butter is James K. Smith's How Not to Be Secular. This is like the handbook of the of the secular Bible. Uh, so Charles Taylor, A Secular Age, is a big mammoth, you know, 30-centimeter high book. But, but Smith's book is a wonderful handbook. Uh, it distills it beautifully, and you could read that over and again once per year, and you'll get new nuggets and new truths out of that. You'll really come to understand secularism, its diversity, the way that it cuts and slices in different kinds of ways, it's really helpful. So um, start there in, in terms of, of the, the idea of, of secularism. Uh, but, of course, we're ministers of the gospel and we want to learn how to penetrate that with the gospel. And I think there's no better than Tim Keller's preaching book, as it as it is. Um, um, it's part two, but read the whole thing. Even though it's a preaching book, I, I think it applies both to ministering and just living in secular contexts. The subtitle is Communicating Faith in a Skeptical Age, and the skeptical age bit resonates quite strongly with what we've been talking about with the soup, where you go all these different kind of meaning-making narratives and everyone's like, well, what am I supposed to kind of believe? I don't, I don't you know, and we get really kind of skeptical about where to go. He does a wonderful job, I think, of, understanding the secular moment and, and helping us to begin to work out how to navigate it, to engage it, to move into it, not to be scared of it and push against it and punch it in the face, but just to begin to wrestle well with it and to understand how to move in and out of it seamlessly without forsaking the gospel um, while being persuasive, while being faithful, while, being, while having Christian integrity. Yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll put those books in uh, resources in the show notes, you, you mentioned uh, James K. Smith's Our Secular, or what was it? How Not sorry, to Be a Secular. The, how Not to Be Secular, yeah, that's right. And then it's Charles Taylor's Our Secular yeah. Age. Uh, you mentioned Tim Keller's Preaching Book. I think also Tim Keller's Making Sense of God mm-hmm. book is, is a good uh, kind of yeah. introduction to yeah. uh, our modern age of secularism. So I'll put all those in there. But Thank you so much for uh, just taking time. I know it's in the middle of the night for you. <laughs> and, uh, just full, full confession to our listeners. This is the third time we've recorded this because I've messed up. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, but I, I feel so bad that uh, you've done this three times. And uh, But no, nevertheless, I think it's gotten a little bit better every time. So oh, that's good. thanks for uh, going late into the night and, and just sharing a little bit of uh, your journey and what God is shown you and uh, we look forward to hearing more and and praying for you as you plant churches and, and teach theology in bulgaria thank you so much yeah thanks for the opportunity thanks for listening today be sure to check out our website pioneersinyourup.com where you can explore how the lord might use you for his glory amongst the people of europe